Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Bhadram Karne Bhishunuyama Devaha Bhadram Pashye Maksha Birya Jatraha Stheirairangai Stushtuvagum Sastanubihi Vyashema Devahitayadayuhu Om Shanti 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 Om, may God protect us. May we hear with our ears what is auspicious. O ye adorable ones, may we see with our eyes what is auspicious. May we sing the praises to ye and enjoy with strong limbs and body the life allotted to us by the gods. Om, peace, peace, peace. Mano eva manushyanam karanam bandha mokshayoho bandhaya vishaya sango muktiyaini vishayam manaha. For man, mind is the cause of bondage and mind is the cause of liberation. Mind absorbed in sense objects is the cause of bondage. Mind absorbed in sense objects is the cause of bondage. And mind detached from the sense objects is the cause of freedom. Good morning, everyone. My name is Swami Dhyana Yogananda. My center is Ramakrishna Monastery in Orange County. And we are going to be talking today about freedom, mostly, about mindfulness, about worship, about mindful worship. The other day, one of our students in Hollywood was asking me, Swami, I hear you all the time saying that is truth, the truth, the truth. What is truth? And I go, I thought it was obvious. Truth is that which makes you free. Anything that makes you free is truth. Truth is that where you find freedom. Anything that binds you, anything that contracts you, cannot, cannot be truth. Truth is the nature of all souls, freedom, all freedom, freedom, all freedom, is the song of the soul. Repeat with gladness, with truth, and with strength, I am free, I was free, and always will be free. This monistic, monistic means, means non-dualistic, this monistic idea will come out of Vedanta and it is the one idea that deserves to live. For this is the truth and truth is eternal.
says Swami Vivekananda. In a spiritual life, there is a fundamental goal we are all after, whether we know it consciously or unconsciously. We are all after a fundamental goal. Guess what it is? Freedom. We call it moksha in Sanskrit. The goal of each soul is freedom, mastery, freedom from the slavery of matter and thought. Freedom from the slavery of matter and thought. Mastery of external and internal nature. The scriptures point out that every human being must discover this freedom sooner or later. Sooner or later, we realize that the so-called bondage never existed. It was only self-hypnosis, self-deception, self delusion. Freedom is not an event that has to take place in a space and time or a process through effort. Freedom is a discovery. It's like waking up from a dream. Remove this delusion and claim Remove this delusion and claim, I was free. I am free. I will ever be free. Now the question is, you may be asking, okay, Swami, I get it. Now, how can I remove this delusion? How can I claim my freedom? We can all understand this, but then, now what? What do we do? Is there any spiritual practice? I should hold on tight. That will take me to the other side. What are the methods to achieve this ultimate goal? How to design our life in such a way that I may achieve something before death, before it's too late? Swami Vivekananda says, you must remember that freedom, freedom of the soul, is the goal of all yogas. And each one, equally, leads to the same result. Now, traditionally, we talk about four yogas. I'm pretty sure that mostly all of you are familiar with these four yogas. So, you must remember that Freedom of the soul is the goal of all these yogas. Liberation means entire freedom, freedom from the bondage of good as well as from the bondage of evil. These means are called yogas or sadhanas, spiritual practices that we embrace. Is there any sadhana that can integrate all in one? This is such a common question in all of us. It's like, I can't be a jnani, jnana yogi or a karma yogi. How can I be everything? Swami Vivekananda says we have to harmonize all these yogas. 
particularly in our tradition, uh, that's what we encourage everyone to harmonize all these yogas into one. Well, what is that yoga? <laughs> How can we call it? Is there any harmony yoga? Is there any common ground among all these yogas that I can simply practice? You know how we are, we just want a pill, just to swallow a pill. Fast results, I mean, the red pill. Uttware datmanatmanam, natmanam mavasada yed, atmeva hyatmano banduhu, atmeva ripuratmanaha, says the Bhagavad Gita. Chapter number six. What is man's will and how shall we use it? The will of a man, what is it? Let him put forth its power to uncover the Atman, not to hide the Atman. Man's will is the only friend of the Atman and his will is also the Atman's enemy. A man should uplift himself by his own self. So let him not weaken this self, for this self is the friend of oneself, and this self is the enemy of oneself. Myself, oneself, well, Guess what? We are subject and object of our own self. Bandhuratmatmanastasya yenatmeivatmanachitaha anatmanastu shatrutve vartetatmeiva shatruvat. For when a man is self controlled, his will is the Atman's friend. But the will of an uncontrolled man is hostile to the Atman, like an enemy. Now you can all flip to yourselves and what are we doing? Are we helping ourselves? Are we being our best friends? Looks like we are on our own here. Nobody to help us, just ourselves. Who is that friend? Our real true friend is our own capital self, what we call the Atman. Now, is there any yoga that can keep me in harmony, remembering who I am, focused with a good attitude, focused with the right and good attitude towards the idea of God, and his creation? Is there any yoga? Let's talk about yoga a little bit. Traditionally, the word yoga means union. Traditionally, union between the embodied soul, it's called jiva, and the absolute universal self, capital self. We call it Brahman in Vedanta. According to our scriptures, these are one and the same, this universal Brahman, this consciousness is one and the same with us. We are of the same nature. But due to our ignorance, we create a division between these two. 
due to our ignorance. Our fundamental problem, says Vedanta, is Ajnana, ignorance. From this point of view, the only remedy looks like, if our problem is ignorance, what is the opposite? Knowledge. It's called jnanam. And considering this point of view, yoga means knowledge as the means and end. Do you know the story of the crying or weeping drop of water? right next to the ocean. Ever heard of it? There is a drop of water sitting on, on a rock and facing the ocean is crying, crying, crying bitterly. And the ocean comes and says, hey, why are you crying? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my identity as a drop. That's why I'm crying. Can't, can't help this. I can't tolerate this. They don't, don't you worry. You are not going to lose your identity as a drop. You are going to regain your real identity as me, the ocean. The whole of Vedanta is about regaining this identity and stop identifying ourselves with this body-mind complex. Is it clear? Stop identifying ourselves with this body-mind complex. I am so-and-so. All these labels we put upon ourselves. Stop it. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Enemy. <laughs> so, in reality, we need to reunite. I mean, what in reality do we need to reunite with? Aren't we that already? If we think about it, this union, but I am here and now in front of you, and that's a fact. Am I not that already? Regardless of my acknowledgement. Sri Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, he gives another definition of yoga. He calls it V-yoga, or separation from the wrong identity. Let that be known as that state called by the name of yoga, a state of severance from the contact of pain. This yoga should be practiced with perseverance undisturbed by depression of heart. Therefore, yoga also means the removal of ignorance, separation from this delusion that we are different from the Supreme. In Patanjali Yoga Sutras, we find a definition of the word yoga as chitta vritti nirodaha. Now, chitta means mind. Vritti means function, thoughts, proliferation, mental function, mind, thoughts. Nirodaha means discipline, regulating, disciplining, 
cessation, removal. It simply means mental discipline. Here we can clearly see that whatever gets between the essence of our reality as spiritual beings and our experience or manifestation in our daily life is simply our mind. The mind seems to be a very, very important instrument. It is the bridge that connects our sense experience with ourselves, capital self, the witness. Where are you now? Are you all here? Looks like your bodies are here, but are you really here? We are flying somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Are you listening to what I said, or are you simply being sailed in the waters of your mind? In order to be here, here and now, you have to connect this instrument with the organs of perception. I am here. I am listening. This mind is an instrument, as it were, in the hands of the soul, through which the soul catches external objects. The mind is constantly changing and vacillating and can, when perfected, either attaches itself to several organs, to one or to none. For instance, if I hear a clock with great attention, I will not, perhaps, see anything, although my eyes are wide open, showing that the mind was not attached to the seeing organ what it was to the hearing organ. You following me? Are you hearing? When the mind detaches itself from the organ, the organ may bring any news to it, but the mind will not receive it. When it attaches itself to the organ, then alone it's possible for the mind to receive the news. Yet, even that does not complete the whole. The instruments may bring the sensation from outside. The organs may carry it inside. The mind may attach itself to the organ, and yet the perception may not be complete. Why? It has to be presented to something behind the organs. This something upon which the mind is painting all these pictures, this something upon which our sensations carried by the mind and intellect are placed and grouped and formed into a unity is what is called the soul of man your friend, your Atman, in Sanskrit. What then is needed? What is required for that amazing alchemy to happen? What is required? One word. Attention. Your attention. That's all. In the absence of attention, no sensation is possible. 
Your attention determines where you are and where your experience is. An embodied individual soul becomes completely immersed in that upon which he focuses his mind. If I speak to you well upon a subject you like, your mind becomes concentrated upon what I'm saying. I draw your mind away from yourself and hold it upon the subject in spite of yourself. Thus, our attention is held. Our minds are concentrated upon various things in spite of ourselves. We can't help it. Dogs barking. See? Here is the yoga of devotion. We call it bhakti yoga. Where do you think the secret of this yoga resides? Your attention. In the Bhagavad Gita, we find Sri Krishna saying, those who concentrating their minds on me, worship me with eternal constancy and are endowed with the highest faith. They are my best worshipers. They are the greatest yogis. Attention. Where your mind is, and the mind seems to be the means. Here resides the secret of a great yoga. We call it the yoga of karma. Where do you think that secret of this yoga resides? The unselfish work. If you have to work, do things right. Where do you think the secret is? What is, what is the secret? Your attention. Attention to the means, to this here and now. Attention to what you are doing with the means all right. The end must come. Take care of the means, and the end will take care of itself. We all experience that. We forget that it is the cause that produces the effect. The effect cannot come of itself. And unless the cause or the causes are exact, proper, and powerful, the effect will not be produced. Here is the yoga of knowledge. We call it jnana yoga. Where do you think the secret of jnana yoga is? Attention. Discrimination between the real and the unreal. You need to be focused. Therefore, let's take care of our mind. Let's pay attention to our attention. Coming back to the mental discipline prescribed by Patanjali in his Yoga Sutras, most of you must be familiar with Ashtanga Yoga. Hmm? Are you still here? Our mind has its unique capacity to turn our life into heaven, to turn our heaven into a hell, and again to turn hell into heaven. The quality of our life depends on this powerful organ, we call it mind, manas. This mind 
has the power to drive us from one end to another. Thoughts are constantly being produced with its causes and effects. But what's sad about it is that these thoughts do not take our permission. They just simply drive us. They do whatever they want with us. Is that good? I don't think so. They simply, simply makes us react. These involuntary thoughts happen all the time. Even now, it's happened. They are happening. This is our main problem. We just let them invade our land and abduct our best friend, our mind. The other day, two of my friends were visiting Trabuco, and as they were leaving, they said, what a wonderful place you live in. This is amazing. This is a beautiful place. I invite you all of you to visit Ramakrishna Monastery in Orange County. It's really beautiful. And then she said, may you be able to enjoy this place. May you be able to enjoy this place. I was like, wow. That's a very nice uh, intention. May you be able. It really struck me. To be wished to have the harmony, the tranquility needed so that you can enjoy where you live. How many times it happens to you that even here, this amazing place, do we stop for a minute just to behold the beauty? Let us connect with this amazing nature around us, with this beautiful place. We are so in a hurry all the time. We just don't have time for that. <laughs> to be wished to have the harmony, the tranquility needed so that you can enjoy where you live. To be able to enjoy the moment, to be able to appreciate the present. And that's how our life goes by, by our mind being kidnapped by our random thoughts. We are unable to work well. And not just that, we are unable to enjoy what is even worse. That's not all. This state, status quo, brings about all sorts of toxic emotions like anxiety, fear, sense of guilt, stress, depression, you name them all. We all know them. If we are daily being hit by thought waves, if we are simply just hit by this thought wave, you can imagine a stressed out person. He or she is experiencing a tsunami. The result is that we are unable to enjoy a healthy mind. We are unable to focus the inability to concentrate. By now it is clear that we have to own our mind. Patanjali in his Yoga Sutras directly deals with this problem. These sutras are also called Ashtanga Sutras or the eight steps or limbs of yoga. They are number one, yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, 
and Samadhi. The first two are called the general disciplines or rules to lead a healthy and moral life. What are they? Non-killing, ahimsa, satyam, truthfulness, asteyam, non-stealing, continence, brahmacharya, aparigraha, leading a simple life. These are the yamas. Internal and external purification, cleanliness in words and deeds, shaucham, contentment, santoshaha, mortification or austerities, tapas, study, swadhyaya, and worship of God or surrender to God, Ishwara Pranidhanam. These are the niyamas. These preliminary values are taken for granted for one who wants to lead a spiritual life. Now, this is the beginning. If we analyze ourselves, are we being truthful? Are we content? Are we getting hold of the idea of God as the absolute principle that unites all of us? Without leading a moral life, a dharmic life, it's not possible to find peace of mind that sense of inner freedom that is required to sit quietly and not let the thieves break into our minds. Sometimes we sit, and I'm meditating, and you are like, oh, did you hear what he said? What he said to me? How did he dare? <laughs> what am I going to do now? Our mind is constantly, we are not simply just saying what we have to say, at the right moment, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Or I love you. Okay, let's just forget about it. Once we got these two somehow covered, the next six steps will help us become the masters of our mind. We need to commit to spend some time to find out where our mind is. The next step is called asana, or posture, conscious posture, posture, not just the physical body, but most importantly, our inner posture, our attitude, our willingness to be with ourselves. I sit in a physical posture, and I'm intensely and totally aware of my entire body from top to bottom, leaving the body free, holding the chest and shoulders up, and the head straight. The next step is called pranayama, controlling the breathing, being intensely aware of the breathing process. What has that to do with concentrating the powers of the mind? Breath is like the flywheel of this machine. We call it body. In a big engine, you find the flywheel first moving, and that motion is conveyed into finer and finer machinery until the most delicate and finest mechanism in the machine is in motion. The breath is that flywheel, supplying and regulating the motion power, the motive power, to everything in this body. To get the subtle perception, we have to begin with the grosser 
perceptions. We have to get hold of that, which is setting the whole engine into motion. That is the prana, the most obvious manifestation of which is the breath. Then, along with the breath, we shall slowly enter the body, which will enable us to find out about the subtle forces, the nerve currents that are moving all over the body. As soon as we perceive and learn to feel them, we shall begin to get control over them. We are so distracted. We are not aware what is happening within us. All these pranas moving up and down, we just don't know. We are so engaged with the outside. As soon as we perceive and learn to feel them, we shall begin to get control over them, over the body. The mind is also set in motion by these different nerve currents. So at last we shall reach the state of perfect control over the body and the mind, making both our servants. By practicing these two, asana, posture, and pranayama, we will slowly get hold of the mind and prevent it to be driven by unwanted thoughts. When I naturally secure my mind from unrestrained thoughts, I will reach my next step. It's called pratyahara. Now, pratyahara means retrieving, bringing back from the clutches of unconscious thoughts or your old habits. We all know them. I can't stop doing this. I don't know why. Pratyahara. He who has succeeded in attaching or detaching his mind to or from the centers at will has succeeded in pratyahara, which means gathering towards. Pratyahara. Checking the outgoing powers of the mind, freeing it from a slavery of the senses. When we can do this, we shall really possess character. Before that, we are mere machines. It's heavy. It is a tremendous work, not to be done in one day. Only after a patient, continuous struggle for years, we may succeed. After the practice of pratyahara, the next step is called dharana. Now, dharana means attention, holding the mind to certain points. For example, forcing the mind to feel certain parts of the body, excluding others. My hand, for example. Dharana is attention on a particular area. After pratyahara, and dharana, we come to what we love, meditation. It's called dhyana. When the mind has been trained to remain fixed on a certain internal or external location, there comes the power of flowing in an unbroken current, as it were, towards that point. Concentration like a flow of oil. Have you ever seen that oil flowing down uninterrupted? 
This state is called dhyana. Dharana is attention, while dhyana is attention span. Are you still there with me? Yes, you are? Good. There is more. We still have some time. It would really make sense. If you are able to listen uninterruptedly this lecture with rapt attention, rapt attention, know that you have developed a tremendous power. Now you judge yourself. This is dhyana. What comes after dhyana is really yummy. It's called samadhi. Finally. When one has so intensified the power of dhyana as to be able to reject the external part of perception and remain meditating only on the internal part, the meaning, that state, is called samadhi. When one has so intensified the power of dhyana as to be able to reject the external part of perception and remain meditating only on the internal part, the meaning, that state, is called samadhi. Samadhi means absorption, perfect concentration. There is a lot more about samadhi. This is enough. That's enough for us to know. For the sake of our topic today, let us just be satisfied here. Mm -hmm. The three, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, the last three limbs of yoga, together are called samyama. That is, if the mind can first concentrate upon an object and then is able to continue in that concentration for a length of time and then by continued concentration to dwell only on the internal part of the perception of which the object has the effect, everything comes under control of such mind, naturally, spontaneously. Have you seen those yogis? But that's not all. As you can see, it's not easy to get there. But when there is a will, we all know there is a way. That will, that, that determination, is called in Sanskrit sankalpa. I want to do this. It makes sense to me. I want to be free. I don't want to be a slave of nature anymore. I want to master myself. I want to be free. Sankalpa, determination. That is what is needed. My intention here was to bring to your attention how important attention is. Now, Swami, what is this attention, mindful worship? Where are you going? <laughs> well, guess what? Is there any yoga that we could practice? Just one single thing. We need to lead an alert life, an attentive conscious life, a thought-watchful life. And this means to be mindful, to lead a mindful life. Mindfulness means total vigilance. We need to achieve perfect concentration 
But in order to successfully do that, we need to remove the hindrances of, and distractions. We need to acknowledge them by the practice of mindfulness. Oh, yes, I have this habit. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is not a good attitude to have. You need to acknowledge. See yourself in the mirror and be willing to change that. How? By remaining mindful. Mindfulness means to be now and here and perceive with clarity what is going on in your mind, your body, and environment around us. Get hold of your breath. Be mindful. How do you achieve that perfect concentration? Patanjali, uh, this rishi, this sage, this teacher, uh, in his aphorisms, he mentions in, in aphorism number 22 and 23, he says, the success of yogis differ or differs according to the means they adopt by being one mild, medium, or intense. The success is going to be mild, medium, or intense. It all depends on us. But then he says, okay, I know it's hard to get use of this, our will, he says, or by devotion to the absolute, by devotion to God, the God of Vedanta, Sat, Chit, Ananda. Now, what do we mean by devotion? What is devotion? Love, most of you may think, devotion is love, yes. But here also, Devotion means desire to be free. When you want to be free, you get hold of anything with teeth and nails, <laughs> any means that will take you there, that will make you free. That's devotion. God, the God of the Vedanta is called Sat Chit Ananda. The concept of God is a fundamental element in our human constitution. Sat, chit, ananda, existence, absolute, chit, knowledge, consciousness, awareness, awareness. Are you aware of yourselves here and now? Absolute. And bliss, perfect joy, bliss, absolute. God is not a person sitting beyond the clouds. God is an invisible, all-pervading, intelligent principle in the universe, pervading all the laws, the cosmic network of laws which maintain the creation in rhythm, rhythm and harmony. The highest aim comes only by the worship of God. If we want to be free, if we want to be free, we have to worship the ultimate, mindful worship. There are two Sanskrit words 
One is called pratikas, and the other is pratimas. Pratikas are substitutes of the idea of God. Now, nobody really can define what God is. The moment we define God, God is gone. We cannot define God. But the idea of God can be with us, the principles behind God. We can relate to them. Pratikas are substitutes of the idea of God. Pratimas, on the other hand, are images. What is the worship of God through a pratika? It is joining the mind with devotion to that, taking it to be Brahman, to be the absolute principle. Brahman himself is the object of worship, and the pratika stands only as a substitute or a suggestion thereof. The worship is positively beneficial. For example, the vast ocean. Sepratika, the sun. Shankaracharya, this uh, Vedantic teacher of Advaita Vedanta, non-dualism, he says in his Brahma Sutra commentary is called Bhashya. Here is the way, here, in this way, thus Brahman becomes the object of worship. Here in this way, thus Brahman become the object of worship because he, as Brahman, is superimposed on the pratikas as Vishnu, a god, or Kali, or Shiva, are superimposed upon images, for example. The same ideas apply to the worship of images. Pratimas, as I said before, are images, but again, the highest aim comes only by the worship of God himself. Only if the image stands for the one God, the worship thereof will bring the highest, will bring about the highest as a result. The whole universe is composed by what we call in Sanskrit Nama and Rupa, name and form. Whatever we see is either a compound of name and form or simply name with form, which is a mental image. If I say a cow, in all of you, on your mind screen, you will see the cow. So after all, there is nothing that is not name and form. We all believe God to be without form or shape. But as soon as we begin to think of him, he acquires both name and form. This is the beauty of this Indian mind. My salutations, really. This amazing spiritual heritage. They did not just simply left this knowledge of who we are, but also the means, all this symbology. There is an incident in the life of Swami Vivekananda. He was visiting, um, during his wandering days, he was somewhere in New Delhi, 
and he was visiting the Maharaja, Maharaja means king of Alwar, or Alwar. So he was taken by one of his servants, who happened to be Swamiji's friend, and this um, the one took him to the palace. So the king goes, Swamiji, I have no faith in idol worship. What is going to be my fate? Swamiji, he smiles, he smiled and spoke. The Swami seemed highly annoyed and exclaimed, surely you're joking. You know, in India, everything is all about images, stones, the worship of Pratimas and Pratikas. So that's why he was saying, are you surely joking? No, Swamiji, not at all. You see, I really cannot worship wood, earth, stone, or metal like other people do. Does this mean that I shall fare wars? I shall fare wars in the life hereafter. The Swami answered, well, I suppose every man should follow the religious ideal according to his own faith. The devotees of the Swami were perplexed at this reply, those who were present there, for they knew that the Swami sanctioned image worship, but the Swami had not finished. His eyes lighted on a picture of the king, the Maharaja, which was hanging on the wall. At his desire, it was passed to him. Holding it in his hands, he asked, whose picture is this? The one, his servants answered, it is the likeness of our Maharaja, of our king. A moment later, they trembled with fear when they heard the Swami commanding the Diwan, spit on it. Spit on it, he continued. Any one of you may spit on it. What is it but a, but a piece of paper? What objection can you have against doing so? The Diwan was thunderstruck, and all eyes glanced in fear and awe from prince to monk and monk to prince. But the Swami continued to insist, spit on it. I say, spit on it. The Diwan cried out, what Swamiji? What are you asking me to do? This is the likeness of our Maharaja, our king. How can I do such a thing? Be it so, said the Swami. But the Maharaja is not bodily present in this photograph. This is only a piece of paper. It does not contain his bones and flesh and blood. It doesn't speak or behave or move in any way as the Maharaja does. Yet, all of you refuse to speak on it because you see in this photo the shadow of Maharaja. Indeed, in speeding on the photo, 
you will feel that you insult your master, your king. Turning to the Maharaja, he continued, See, your highness, though this is not you, in one sense, in another sense, it is you. Thus, it also is with the devotees who worship a stone and metal images of gods and goddesses. It is because an image brings to their minds their ishta, their ideal, chosen ideal, or some special form and attributes of the divinity and helps them to concentrate. That the devotees worship God in an image. That is why the devotees worship God in an image. They do not worship the stone or a metal as such. I have traveled in many places, but nowhere have I found a single Hindu worshiping an image saying, Oh stone, I worship thee. Everyone, Maharaja, is worshiping the same one God who is the supreme spirit the soul of pure knowledge, and God appears to all according to their understanding and their representation of him. Is it clear now why do we have to get hold of images mm, or symbols of God? It is necessary if we want to help ourselves. But take them to be the absolute so that you can help yourself, you can make contact, you can tap into your own inner self. Let us be smart. Let us all get hold of symbols to remind us the highest by mentally being in the presence of the Lord, whether personal or impersonal. Om, for example. With the help of symbols, we are reminded of his constant, ever-presence. In the Bhagavad Gita, there is a word called Atmavan, Atmavan, which means be mindful. It is there in our Vedanta. Be mindful. Atmavan. Be established in the self, capital self. Everything we do, think, say has to be done consciously. Everything we do, or think, or say has to be done consciously. Being aware of the presence of God everywhere. Man is the highest being that exists, and this is the greatest world, for here can man realize freedom says his main disciple, Swami Vivekananda, let us make that habit of being with ourselves, with our God within us. What's going to happen? We will own our mind. We will enjoy a perfect mind free from emotional problems and worries. Let us regain our freedom, let us rescue our mind from anxiety, depression, and confusion. We will stop being mechanical. 
will stop being driven by our old habits, unconscious and involuntary thoughts. Teach not hand. You know, do you know him? He says, I really like it. Mindfulness is the miracle by which we master, we master and restore ourselves. There you have it. We need to allow ourselves to be with ourselves. The highest aim comes only by worship of God himself. Let us worship the highest with our full attention. Let us all worship the highest with our full attention, mental and external worship. Let us worship it all. Being aware of the self, capital self, all around, within us, within you and each and every one of us. Whatever the mind contemplates, it is said, it becomes. Whatever the mind contemplates, that it becomes. Let us meditate upon the highest. Let us try to make things simpler and bring about the golden days when every man will be a worshiper and the reality, the self, the capital self in every man will be the object of worship. Thank you. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.